You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Can you guys hear me on this thing? I think I heard Jackie say Reet. Reet Butler. I appreciate the affinity. <laughs> Good morning, guys. How we doing? You guys awake? We alert? I don't, I don't believe it. How you guys doing? We good? We're worshiping God together, amen? There you go. I feed off emotional hype, so thank you for that. Um, before we get started, and we're going to continue our series, make sure this bad boy works right here, Building Bridges. This is uh, part two of a three-part installment, so should be a lot of fun. We're going to delve into today, Friendships That Sharpen. If you missed uh, last week, Brian did a wonderful job of setting us up for the identity. You can give a clap for that one. Yeah. Helping us have an identity uh, centered in Christ's relationships. And so there's some good material. We'll we'll delve into some of that initially before I get into my portion. Um, I do need to say hello to Livestream. How are you guys doing out there in Livestream land? Uh, One of the tidbits before I came up today was, hey, Rhett. I need a thumbnail for your face, but in order to do that, you have to look directly at this camera. So I remembered. Amen for that. <laughs> um, it was rough, I know. On that note, let us pray. Father God, we thank you so much. It's, it's such a blessing to be able to be here as a family. God, be able to worship you, uninhibited Father, to sing songs and praise. Appreciate Pat leading and that this morning. God, it's it's such an honor to glorify your name. We pray, Father, we thank you for this Sunday. We pray for the rest of our time. Just you bless this lesson. Work powerfully. I'm going to be a vessel for you. God, open our hearts and minds. Allow us to get rid of any sin that entangles. God, anything that could be distracting us this morning. Sometimes it's just coming late. Sometimes you have to fight with your spouse. Fill in the blank. Allow us, God, to be able to move it all aside. To hear your word preached, Father to continue the rest of our time today together, glorifying your name. The rest of this day afterwards, glorifying your name. Thank you so much, God. Praise in Jesus' most holy, perfect name. And the church said, amen. All right. So we are continuing building bridges. So friendships that sharpen. One of those common phrases that you hear a lot is iron sharpens iron as a coach at once upon a time. And I hear a lot in sports. We use that a lot, right? And so we should have... Ideally, in Christ, if we are part of a spiritual family, we should have friendships that bring out the best in us, to help us to be the most like Jesus as we possibly can. Amen? It's not simply self-actualization. It's not simply self-help. We're trying to become more like Christ. So uh, we mentioned this this notion. It's good to note uh, from last uh, sermon, idea of intimacy, right? I can't think of one person, you know, that doesn't want to be known or to know someone else. We all have this innate desire that God put within us, that someone could understand us and accept us for who we really are. There's a fear that goes kind of behind that, starts with the R, ends with the ejection. Rejection, right? But the the, the reality is that we do want to be known. We want people to know who we are, what we're about, warts and all, good, bad, and ugly. It is true. In Ephesians 4, he referenced the scripture last time as well. It's a classic one. If you've been in church once or twice, uh, you may have heard it. We're always going to use it because it never goes away. 
the corporate body of Christ, we're here. What is one of the things that we're supposed to do collectively? It's laid out in Ephesians 4, 15, 14 and 15. All right. It says, Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, verse 15, we're going to focus on verse 15 especially today. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. This is another kind of quote I mentioned from last time. I'll change it slightly. Change takes place when truth is presented in loving relationships, right? And so you have times in your life where that may not be the case, and you had an, a, a, a non-loving relationship, <laughs> and truth was spoken, and you may have embraced it. You may have had a time alone with God, and you're just praying, and you had this revelatory experience where change took place, right? You might have this rock-bottom moment where you hit, and you're just so low, and then you know what? Only place I can go is up, and I might as well go towards God. But within the confines of a spiritual family, much of the place, much of the truth, and much of the growth should occur within these loving relationships inside the body of Christ. And the church said, amen, amen for that. We mentioned, uh, I don't know if you remember this uh, uh, model from last time. Did anybody remember seeing this last week? Yeah. Hopefully, right? So there's this notion, this idea that you're going to hear some truth, right? But what happens if you don't have a, a loving relationship? What happens if you're not necessarily close to this person? There can be this, this layer, right? This, this wall, if you will. And so you might have this truth that is 100% accurate. They need to hear it. But because there's no type of loving connection present, it doesn't necessarily get to that fear. I think of this, this model in the spirit of 2 Corinthians 10, 4, uh, 4 and 5, talking about taking captive every thought and making it obedient to Christ, right? And so when that truth is spoken, if it doesn't get to the heart, because usually a lot of times we need a change, there's usually a fear associated with that change. We're holding mm -hmm. on to something that isn't biblical, right? And what happens if we have this layer, this, this hard shell, and we hear a truth, it doesn't get us to a place of actual growth. What happens instead? We get things like conformity. You know, I'll, I'll do what you say, but not because I actually want to do it. It's just so you'll get off my back. Complacency. I heard what you said, and I'm not interested. I'll operate with a general sense of apathy to anything that you say, and I'll continue on my merry way. Ever done that before? Maybe once or twice. Callousness. I heard what you have to say, and now my heart is hard as humanly possible towards you and the possibility of changing anything that you just said. Anyone ever been there? Right? Maybe once or twice. But what happens when we have, ideally, this loving relationship in Christ, and truth is spoken to a fear, a deep part of us? It's usually one or two options, and I, and I like the way this model is laid out because I think it's in line with kind of how Jesus, who Jesus is, right? Because when Jesus came into a room and when Jesus went on the crowds, when Jesus spoke truth, is very polarizing. And so there's really one or two kind of, you know, I guess, paths you can choose when you're confronted with the truth of Christ. You either grow because that's exactly what you wanted to hear, even if it was hard, and you want to become more like Jesus, you want to draw closer to God, or you rebel. You know the truth, you hear the truth, no matter how true it is, doesn't mean I want to do it. But there's no middle road, right? And that's kind of how it works with Jesus when you hear the truth and it gets your heart. There's no middle road. You either embrace it or grow or you rebel. But we got to pick one, right? 
Now, going into Ephesians 4.15, what I want to touch in a little bit today, and then eventually we're going to have uh, Dan Rowley and Oscar Mia come up, which is exciting. I was trying to think of, like, nicknames for them. I was like, Thunder Dan Rowley, which is a basketball reference, if you know it. And Oscar, the band Mia. I don't know if that's... I don't know how Jessica feels about that one, but... Um, I know. <laughs> They're going to come up shortly. But I do want to touch on just two things about speaking the truth. Um, we reference as, as source material for this series Larry Crabb's book called Encouragement. And I, I, this focuses particularly on chapters uh, 4, 5, and 7. And there's some good things in here that I, I feel like help us to address the idea of speaking the truth in love, right? We need to grow in Christ. We need to say things that are difficult. We need to say things that are accurate, right? A lot of times, unfortunately, we've experienced situations where those conversations went south, and for different reasons. I think this is one of the reasons why they have before in the past. And this, uh, this little verse, this excerpt from Larry Kraft's book says this. We're to handle our emotions, and this is talking about the context of speaking the truth with control, right? Some of us like the idea of keeping it 100, keep it 100, or keeping it real. Or I'm just expressing myself. And so you get to have this, this full blast of every bit of emotion that I have. And that's just me keeping it real. That's just, that's just how I express myself. But I think there's a problem with that, right? What happens when you have this type of knee-jerk visceral reaction and you just kind of almost like a, like a, what is it, fire hydrant, just open up and just blast somebody with it? I know. It's like, okay, well, I got to full vent my anger, but how's this individual doing, right? And I, I think if you've been married for five minutes, you might have been that once or twice. If you had a roommate, probably, a child, a coworker, friend, life, fill in the blank. It says this in this quote, I like it. We're to handle our emotions by one, privately acknowledging our feelings to God and ourselves. It's important. And two, subordinating the expression of our feelings in both timing and manner. Catch that? Subordinating the expression of our feelings in both time. I mean, it's a little wordy, but it's there. In both timing and manner to the goal of ministry. Two things here, right? We're talking about speaking the truth in love. Did you talk to God about it first? (laughs) Sometimes we like to get uh, the Latin side of me says like a a little bit of, not machismo, but like chismoso, chismosa. We like the tasty morsels of gossip. And so the second something happens to us, we want to tell the person next to us versus talking to God about it first. So, yeah, spill, you know, the little tea that gets spilt. We go to God with it first, right? We give God our feelings. And then the expression of which. So instead of having the, the knee-jerk visceral reaction, there's a time and a place when to share something. There's a proper manner in which to share something. I think of for myself and, my, and, you know, marriage, so many times where I felt completely justified in sharing what I wanted to share because I was hurt. Being like, somehow like being hurt gave me a license to say and feel whatever I wanted. Well, I feel it, and she did me wrong, so now full vent of anger, go. It's not the case, right? There's a timing for things. There's a way to say things. 2 Peter 2, Proverbs 15, 23 mentions the timing. 2 Peter 2 mentions the idea when Jesus 
had insults hurled at him, what did he do? What happens when people criticized him? What happens when they said the worst things about him and did the worst things to him? How did he respond? Silence. He trusted. There's a timing there, a manner there. And this is like high-level doctorate Christianity. To be able to take the worst of humanity and just kind of flip it around and trust God. That is extremely intense. Nevertheless, this is what we're called to do. So within the confines of a spiritual family, we have to speak the truth. Think for yourself. Many of you here studied the Bible, right? At some point in time, many of us did. And this is kind of something we do within our fellowship or churches, you know. Anybody that's not just being a member, but you want to lead someone to Christ. So we sit down with people as a part of our fellowships across, you know, the globe. And we get into scripture. And we talk about life. We go through the verses and say, okay, is there any part, you know, helping someone to slowly but surely fall in love with God. In the process of doing that, you have to say difficult things to people. Things that are life-giving yet challenging. And we can remember, if you go back to these moments, if you experience this, times in a Bible study where it got a little, got a little hot. <laughs> but what happened after that time? What did it do for your life, for your relationship with God? You were changed, right? And this is one of the things I'm, I'm, you know, kind of considering for our fellowship of churches, and just obviously it'll apply to anyone across the board, is that that initial truth that we are given and maybe had some follow-up studies thereafter, I think as time passes, it happens less and less, and not for good reasons. You know what I mean? That life-giving truth, think about this for a second. Okay, you're like, well, Red, I just got baptized. I just started following God, so this is new. So there should be an expectation of a lot more conversations. There should be an expectation of a lot more walking with that individual, just to, you know, to help them to know what it means to follow God. But I think over time, we like to think that we've arrived, and we don't necessarily say it, but it's in there. And so the conversations that we need to have for someone to be their best for God, they don't always occur. And they were kind of just like marbles bouncing off each other without getting any real depth in speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth with vision, it's another quote in reference Matthew 23, which I'll touch in a sec. Never speak hard words to someone unless you love, your love for that person has generated a vision of who that person can become, a vision that generates tender feelings for one another. In Matthew 23, if you're familiar with the passage, Jesus goes, kind of goes through the litany of rebukes. He lets the Pharisees have it, the most religious people of the day, the hardest of hearts to get truth into. Like Jesus has to go full throttle, like spiritual acts to chop down the tree. This isn't a scalpel. This is, this is like all the energy that I have. The hardest of words that have been spoken in Scripture, potentially. There's some other, there's like a top three list. This is pretty high up there, I think so, right? He says these things that are difficult. But with the most blazing rebukes, firm corrections, you know, firm criticism that you'll find in Scripture, what you see at the end of Matthew 23 is a vision. For the people, he says, how I've longed to gather you, right? As a hen gathers her chicks to put, them, put you under my wing, but you were not willing. And he says, look, your house has left you desolate. 
So in, this, in most intensive situations, you see Jesus have a heart for people. I'm going to tell you what you need to hear. I'm going to tell you the hard stuff. I'm not going to mince words. But understand something. I have a vision for you. I have a goal for you in mind. When you talk to people, do they feel the vision that you have for their life? Is that something that resonates in your conversations? It's easy to shoot out firebrand and deadly arrows and say all these crazy things that you want to say to individuals. But do they feel, do they feel like you have a direction, a plan, a goal, a dream for what you want them to be in Christ? And the church said, Amen. questions to consider. Dan and uh, Oscar come up shortly, which I'm excited about. Do I speak the truth of godly restraint? Is there a godly restraint to your words? Are they measured? Are they tempered with prayer and advice and wisdom? This second one I like. When's the last time that I've been rebuked by a spiritual friend? For real, for real. When's the last time you've been rebuked? Seriously. I see some faces staring at me like it's been a long time. <laughs> Full disclosure for Rhett Butler, I get a solid rebuke at least once a year, probably twice. It might be quarterly, I don't know. And that's not just me. You're like, well, Rhett, because you're impetuous, you're emotional, so you need that. No, it's not. It's for everybody, my friends. It's for everyone. We all need a good rebuke once in a while. We, we all need a situation that purges the inmost beings. One of my fears is that we've been operating way too long without someone giving us in the, in the words of uh, our Long Beach Sister Church Campus Ministry, they call it the deal. <laughs> that someone has not given us the deal in so long that we're just operating in this lane where, you know, you slowly but surely become like, and no one says this, right? But we're not careful. We start becoming like God's gift of righteousness, and we start thinking very highly of ourselves. But we never say it. It's all internal. And a lot of reasons is because we never, we just haven't had someone give us the quote-unquote deal. We haven't had someone tell us the difficult things in quite some time. Last point. Do the people that I correct rebuke believe that I have a genuine Christ-led vision for their lives? I won't touch on that because we already went out too long. Now, I'm very excited. This time, we're going to have Dan Rowley and Oscar Mia come up. There's that one. Sorry. I don't want to mess up the kicks. I appreciate that. <laughs> Oscar's a shoe guy, so you got to make sure you protect those shoes. Yeah, man. <laughs> Oscar, you rebuke me. All right, so uh, uh, they have, I don't know what the reason was, but they, they, they genuinely accepted this opportunity to share in front of the uh, church today. Yeah, they did. So one of our goals is to highlight different relationships in the church, right? And kind of get an idea of discipling and of these one another type relationships that, you know, in many respects, our church has been founded on. And it's kind of been a, a, a hallmark of what we do within our fellowship of churches, that we have deep, connected relationships. And so without further ado, I have a couple questions for the guy, these guys. They didn't get these questions in advance. They haven't seen these at any point in time. Put your nose away, yeah. <laughs> All right, you guys ready for this one? Sure. Question number one. How did your friendship and discipling relationship start? And either of you want to go. Okay. 
Uh, well, I think Oscar and I have, have known each other for, for a while. Grab the, grab the mic. You can take it. You can take it off. Okay. Yeah, you got to take it off. I got to take it off? Yeah, just take it off. You guys can pass it to each other. For the sake of the live stream, otherwise they won't hear you. Appreciate that. Uh, I, is this good? Yeah. Okay. So I think Oscar and I have known each other for a long time in uh, South Bay Church and iterations of South Bay Church before that. Um, and we've kind of always kind of known each other and been in Bible talks together and then not in Bible talks together. And then um, I think maybe about four or five years ago, we were in a discipling relationship, uh, my wife, Lisa, and uh, Oscar and his wife, Jessica. And then um, I think that was about the time that we had the, the North Campus, uh, North uh, Worship Campus going on. And then they were discipled by the Peckmans, I think. And then uh, March of 2020, we kind of had a, a dual thing going on of both um, the, the Beckmans uh, going to another ministry and COVID. And um, so then uh, things were kind of on a hiatus for a while. And several months into COVID, while, while we were still pretty well locked down, um, the Marichis asked uh, Lisa and I to be in a discipling group with Oscar and Jessica and uh, Brian and Marina Mills and also uh, Paul and Kim Hammond. And we would get together by Zoom. Remember Zoom? Yeah. <laughs> and um, every other Friday night and, and just have a D group. And um, those were like really deep uh, times in, the, in those D groups and I know that for myself we were still in such an isolation that I really needed to have those relationships mm. and I think that was really the, the, the kick start of where D Oscar and I started to get deep with one another. Uh, I think even before that um, we were in a discipling relationship even prior to that I think when the Casillas is um, they had their youngest uh, they had to step out and kind of focus on a newborn and I think you discipled you and Lisa discipled us for uh, for a brief moment in that time too I think the thing I remember was um, we didn't know you that well at the time but we knew you guys love God you guys were a mature couple in Christ and we wanted that kind of help in our lives Amen. Amen. And they both like the Dodgers, so. They both like the Dodgers. <laughs> sports, sports in general. Hey, man, we're going for more depth than that, but a little bit of jest once in a while. Question number two. What have you learned from each other throughout the course of your relationship? I'll take it. Uh, for me, I, I've learned several things. I think um, one of the things that stands out the most is you just, God bonds us. God connects us. Dan and I, we, we don't have the same socioeconomic background whatsoever. Dan's from the Midwest. He's a Duke graduate. He's a smart individual. I'm from the hood. <laughs> um, he's probably got about, you know, he's probably got about a decade on me, um, age-wise. And there's not, there's not natural social connections between us. But we love each other because God bonds us. Yeah. And, and, and that, the, the commonality we have in both wanting to love God uh, 
it trumps everything else. Mm. I think that's uh, one, of the, one of the biggest things I learned. I learned uh, some other things, too. I think um, Dan taught me that you can uh, have a Bible talk with one short scripture and one question, and it'd be amazing Bible talk. Mm. Mm. Um, he taught me... He taught me that, it, that in a lot of ways, and I'll probably get into this with the next question. That, not that I know what the next question is, but... Um, <laughs> no, he taught me, in a lot of ways, he helped remind me that I matter. Um, mm. Because Dan is very unconditional. Mm. And I think there have been, uh, you know, like I said, I'll get into it. Um, but, yeah, he, he taught me that I matter, and he taught me that no matter what, he's my friend. He has no reason, again, other than God, he has no reason to uh, care about me the way he does. But he does. Mm. So. Amen. Uh, I, I would say, you know, uh, growing up, actually, I grew up in, in New Hampshire, not, not in the Midwest, but <laughs> Northeast. But whatever you think about uh, Southern California in, in the present time in terms of diversity, uh, growing up in New Hampshire in the 70s and 80s was 180 degrees from that. And like Oscar said, I think if you look on paper, um, maybe we don't have that much in common, but relationships shouldn't be on paper, right? Mm. Just like they say, you know. Um, and, and I think deep down, um, not only in terms of our love of, for, of God, a love for God, but also just in character things, we have a lot more in common. And, and I think that's true in many relationships that I have here in, in South Bay that, you know, there's just a deep uh, underlying love for God that when you tap into that, then the other stuff doesn't matter. Amen. 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 Question number three. When was your friendship most tested? And part two of that is how did you both respond? It's a great question. I never thought of that. Um, for me, and I don't know if you'll agree, I don't think the friendship itself was ever, like, tested as to where I, I don't know if I'm going to lose a friend because, like I said, Dan is, is very unconditional. I knew that regardless, he would still be my friend. Um, but I think our friendship was most tested uh, around this time last year um, after maybe the, the admonishing of my wife for several, several years to go get some, some therapy. <laughs> I finally, to deal with some past traumas, I... Um, I finally decided to and um, brought up a lot of, uh, you know, in going through the process, I had to dredge up a lot of, uh, of my childhood uh, traumatic events, I guess, in my childhood. And um, that wasn't a good time for me, uh, mm -hmm. by no means. It, um, I think the thing I started to realize was that because of whatever traumatic events I had, the story I told myself as a result of them was that I didn't matter. Mm -hmm. And... Um, yeah, so, and, so then that stuff came up, and I, started, and I got very depressed. Then I started learning about how events that were happening in my current life were further confirming the story I told myself that I didn't matter. Mm. And now I got even more depressed, and I got a little bit angry. Um, and in my anger, I was, I, was mad at, you know, I was mad at those who sinned against me when I was a kid. I was mad at my wife for the ways that I felt like she reminded me of those events. Even, the, and it, you know, just, it's tough, you know? Mm -hmm. um, mad at work. I'm mad at myself for 
because I think I felt very dismissed and unseen. And I was mm. mad at myself for allowing myself mm. to be dismissed and unseen. And um, in, that mo in, in that time, I wasn't willing to lay down my life for anybody. Because mm. it's like, oh, y'all ain't seen. I'm, here I am laying my life down for you. Who's laying their life down for me? Mm. I wasn't willing to be very Christ-like in that moment. And I wasn't really seeing God and seeing the way he was orchestrating and, uh, and working in my life through that moment. So I think I had some tough conversations with Dan, and I set some very maybe ungodly boundaries mm. uh, for how I was going to behave going forward until I would, I, I guess the attitude I took was, I'm going to be seen, I don't, and, and I don't care. I, I don't care how, if you like it, I don't care if it's the God way, y'all are going to see me. Mm -hmm. Keep, keep um, it real. Keep it real. And in those conversations, I remember, I remember Dan, like, Again, loving me, trying to, again, help me to see God in all this. Um, but I, at the same time, like, I can hear the concern in his voice, like, dang, are you going to throw your life away right now? Um, and I think he felt like, man, I don't know what to do. I can't help you right now. But the truth was the fact that, like, he, I think that, I think, how did, it, how did I respond to it? He talked me off the ledge, even though he didn't think he was talking me off the ledge. <laughs> His word, even though I wasn't hearing it, I was hearing it. Mm. And he, he, that, and again, wrestling with God, eventually got me to a point where, okay, God, I see you. Yeah. So. Amen. Thank you, brother. Um, yeah, just to echo uh, what Oscar was saying, and then to share some of my own, um, you know, sometimes you're in a relationship or a friendship and um, someone is um, in a hard place, a dark place, uh, a tough place, um, maybe of their own doing, maybe not, uh, but they're, they're struggling through it. And I think especially as guys, um, we want to say, okay, well, if you do A, B, and C, that's how you get out of it. Mm -hmm. um, but... Oscar is right. I was like, I don't know what to do except say, bro, I, I love you. I believe in you. Uh, I believe in God's uh, strength. I'm faithful that you'll get through this, but you have to work through this. You and God have to be in partnership in working through that. Um, and, and so that was meaningful to me. I think um, also just conflicts in life, more or less, it just... Um, Oscar and I are able to confess our sins to one another. And I just want to um, quote here in, in 1 John 1, it says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Right? Mm. So it's basically saying, if, uh, if we claim to be without sin, we're just fooling ourselves. Mm. And, and sin has an impact on our lives, and the sooner that we deal with it in a godly way and, and repent, um, you know, the, the sooner that we can be restored. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things I appreciate about Oscar is in Galatians 6, it talks about, you know, if a brother is in sin, um, to restore him gently. You know, so there's a, there is a restoration, but... You know, if, if it's not done out of a heart of love or, as we've been talking here about, speaking the truth in, 
and love, then it, it can easily just make you your heart harder and more callous. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you, Oscar, for sharing. I really appreciate that. I didn't think I'd get emotional up here, but you get me, Oscar. Last but not least, what advice do you have for a friendship that sharpens one another to be more like Jesus? Um, I think um, one thing that was really key is investing time in, in one another. And um, I know as a church, we've gone through a lot of discussions about family of origin and how our past uh, shapes us um, where we are now. Um, I don't think we should be a prisoner of our past, but that um, we have to acknowledge that it shapes us and forms us and even in the present day and going into the future. But um, knowing where someone comes from, like when Oscar was, was sharing about what he was learning in therapy and explaining his family of origin, I could say, oh, I get that. I can, I can understand why you feel that way. That's not an experience that I've had, but I can understand why when you went through that experience, your emotional response was such and such, and how that, I can see how that impacts you today. So I think um, being curious about one another, um, asking another question, um, asking the question after the question is, is really key. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it needs to be in the framework of I love you and I, I, I'm concerned about you and, and I want the best for you spiritually. Amen. Thank you, Dan. Amen. I think, uh, I think Dan nailed it on the head. Um, before we seek to sharpen one another, we need to seek to be safe places for each other. Um, that's just the best way I can put it. I think... Um, that's the cool thing. I feel like um, Dan has, has definitely been a safe place for me, and hopefully I've been the same for him. Um, and, yeah, when you're coming from a place of life, I love that, that thing you, you put. Uh, you either respond with restoration or, or rebellion, and uh, that's, that's very real. <laughs> um, but that does come from a, like, okay, I know you're my friend, and I know you love me, and I know you're coming from the best place. Um, that's that before anything, like. That before anything. And then you sharpen each other. Amen. Guys, one final round of applause for Dan and Oscar. <laughs> guys, guys. Well, thank you, man. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Well, that was amazing. Switching gears to communion. It says in John 17, 24 through 26. This is Jesus' uh, longest recorded prayer before he uh, you know, ultimately dies on the cross. He says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Amen. 
It's encouraging to see a relationship where you can see the love of God in somebody else. Thinking about the cross, we have the opportunity not just to have intimacy with one another, but with God in heaven through Jesus Christ. The body that was broken, the blood that was shed, that is true intimacy. That pathway that was created for us, a bridge that was built that we could never build ourselves through Jesus Christ. We're able to have the intimacy with God and with one another. Let us pray for communion. Father God, we thank you. We thank you so much for loving us the way that you do. You're a gracious, merciful, compassionate, loving Father. We thank you for the the son, the big brother, it's even, I almost feel sacrilegious to say that Jesus is my big brother. That he died on the cross for us and went through the most extreme of circumstances that he laid down his life for his friends, for his family. Help us this morning, God, that that gives us the motivation, that it resonates deep in our hearts as we strive to love each other and build bridges in our fellowship and in this world. We love you, God. Praise in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.